This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Happy Father's Day to everybody. What about me? Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. <laughs> so it's it's fun because for me, you know, I've been a father for a little bit over a year now, so I don't quite have it figured out, but I'm close, right? I'm close to getting it. But uh, anyways, fa- being a father is such a high calling, isn't it? Like as as men, I think that we get we get wrapped up in so many different things, and we uh, chase so many different things, and we focus our lives on so many different things, like achieving and building, and uh, building wealth, building status, building uh, all different kinds of things. Achieving is so important to us, right? Even providing, right? Providing for our families, it's important. But as we celebrate Father's Day today, I just want to say this, is that I want us to remember that in our lives, there is nothing there's nothing more important when we become a father or, or a mother. There's nothing more important once that happens in our lives than being a tool that God uses to shape a human soul. It's such an incredible honor, and it's such a, a, a cool thing that we get to be a part of that God does in our life. And so today, man, I just want to challenge all of us. If you're a dad in the room, and it doesn't just mean biological, that's stepdad, grandparents, that's spiritual fathers, that's mentor-type relationships, to remember that calling that you have on your life, that nothing is more important in that place than shaping a human soul. So of all the things we chase in life, remember that. So we're going to be in John chapter 14 today, starting right around verse 1. And today, we're going to be picking up with Jesus as he's talking to his disciples about a conversation about home. I remember the first time that I realized uh, that Katie was my home. And if here's how I'll say it is, is when you get married, there's this thing that happens. I remember uh, the first time that I realized that Katie was my home. And, and here's what I mean by that is when you get married, um, you know, the Bible says these really cool things about marriage. It says things like, you know, the leave and cleave. It says things like the two become one flesh. And um, if you've been married, you probably know this, is that those things don't just happen all of a sudden. Like you think you say the vows, you get married, you become one, and then all of a sudden you're like, we're married, we're one flesh, we're one unit, we're one body, like we're just together, unified in everything. Um, if if you think that it just happens like that, you're probably not married um, uh, because it takes some time, doesn't it? It takes some time to become one, and you can date for a long time, but it's, it's something that happens when you get married, and, and it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of time getting used to, and I think that, I think that, that honestly, a reason for a lot of divorce is because they never become one unit never think on the same page, never become that one flesh. And I, I could preach a sermon about that, but I'm not, I'm, this is, we're not going there today. I don't have that one in my notes. Um, but I, I remember, I remember Katie and I being married and, and kind of living life together and it was good. And, and I remember, but I always missed home. I always missed Texas. I was living in Mississippi and I was living in Georgia. And I remember when we were in Georgia, I remember just, We'd come home to visit, and I remember hanging out with friends and family and just being like, man, I miss this place. I, w- I want to be back. Like, I just want to be here longer, right? I just missed it. And so we'd be leaving. Get, I know y'all don't believe this, but I'd get a little teary-eyed, you know. I'm like, I just want to be, I just miss home. 
And then I remember this time when Katie and I were here visiting Texas and we were around the same friends, we were around the same family, it was the same people. And I remember sitting at my parents' house and looking at Katie and just saying, man, I just want to be home. And it was like, that was like a big deal for me. That was like the first time I realized she was my home. And home for me meant going back to Georgia in our double wide trailer, sitting on the couch and watching whatever on TV with her. Like that was just home. And I remember missing that. I remember wanting to, to be there. I, I think that there's, that no matter where you are in life, if you're going, if you leave home, like if you go on this incredible vacation, like touring the world, right? The United States of America, or if like Joel, who in, in a few weeks is going to be hiking Machu Picchu, apparently there's some big trail up there. I don't know. I don't really get it. Um, but anyways, he's going to be hiking Machu Picchu. I guarantee you there's going to be a point where he's walking up the mountain and he's going to see this beautiful sunrise and it's going to be incredible. And but instead of focusing on the sunrise, he's going to go, man, I just want to be home. And it's not because the, the experience isn't incredible. It's because what Dorothy said is true. There's no place like home, right? And we, we wish that we could maybe click our heels and say there's no place like home three times and, and be home, right? But, but there's no place like it. And so here we have, no matter where you are, there comes a time where you're just ready to be home. And I, I believe that there's this deep desire in our hearts. There's this deep desire in all of us. We just miss home sometimes. We just want to be home. And so here we have Jesus, and he's talking with the disciples. And this is a story about him comforting the disciples with a um, promise of home. And so we're going to pick up in John 14, starting in verse 1. And here we go. It says, Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way. And he finishes it by saying this. You know the way to where I'm going. So here we have Jesus and he's in his final hours of life. He's, if you remember last week, we talked about the foot washing uh, where he sat down to dinner with disciples and he washed their feet and he's kind of imparting some things in them and, that he wants them to know. He's like right here, he's about 48 hours from being arrested, beaten and crucified on a cross. And so if you can imagine, I want you to think about this for a second. If somebody came down and told you, man, this is your last week of life. This is your last 48 hours of life. Like God came down in the cloud, the burning bush, whatever, and said, hey man, this is it for you. You got 48 hours left. What would you do? Think about that. Some of you thought of some good things. Some of y'all were like, I'm gonna rob a bank. <laughs> Skydiving, right? I see y'all looking at each other. Yeah, that was a good idea, right? What, what, what would you do? Like no matter what, you, you go skydiving, rob a bank, uh, do something crazy, go all out, but I guarantee you this, I promise you that if no matter what, no matter what you did, if it was skydiving, the bank, whatever, there would come a point in time where you'd want to gather the people around you that you love the most, and you'd want to sit them down, and you would want to share things with them from your heart. Things that maybe you had never said, or things that you always wanted to say, or maybe some even, you know, regrets that you had. You'd want to sit down, and you'd say, hey, here's some, there's some things that I want you to remember. And so here we have Jesus, and he's in his final 48. 
this is it for him. He's headed to the cross. And in his last 48 hours, he's going to sit down with the disciples and he's going to tell them some things. And what, the reason why I say that is because we need to pay attention to what he's about to say to them. Because these, is, these are his last hours before the cross and what he's going to tell them, he wants them to know. And he wants them to remember. And he wants them to live out. And so here they are. They've entered into Jerusalem for the last time. Jesus is sitting down with the disciples, and, and you have to think about where the disciples are at. They're confused, they're scared, they're worried, because they're, they're expecting Jesus. This whole time, they thought that Jesus was going to come in and conquer the Roman Empire. And yet, as it gets closer to Jesus' death, he keeps talking about how he's going to get beaten and killed on the cross, and they're, they're worried. They're going, this isn't how we thought this was going to play out, Jesus. What are you talking about? And so as he's setting down and he keeps talking about his death and resurrection, they're confused and they're worried and they're scared. And here we see this really cool thing about Jesus. And I just want to point this out. <laughs> it's Jesus' last 48 hours, and yet he's focused on the disciples. They're confused, they're worried, they're scared. And what does he say to them? Your heart must not be troubled. I'm going to confess something to you guys, and y'all can, this is maybe my own sin, I don't know. But if I had 48 hours to live, I wouldn't be thinking about you guys. I wouldn't be, and y'all, you judge me, but you think the same thing, right? If somebody said, hey man, this is it for you, you're not going to be like, well, I need to go talk to Mike, and I'm, I, want to make, I wonder how he's doing with this, right? Don't worry about me. But here we see Jesus' heart, and that as he's headed to the cross, his heart and his desire is to comfort the disciples, to reveal to them truth, to love them and impart wisdom in them. As a matter of fact, in a couple chapters, in chapter 17, we're even going to see Jesus praying for the disciples. And so he wants to encourage them. He wants to lift them up. And here's how he does it, with a promise of home. With a promise of home. He wants them to know that I'm leaving you not just to go and die, but I'm leaving for a purpose, just to heal us and forgive us of sin, but also a purpose that's a promise of home. He's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Let me read this again. He says, your heart must not be troubled in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you where I am going away to prepare a place for you. So he's saying, I'm going to prepare a real place for you a real home for you. And he says that it has lots of rooms. Some places translate this as mansions. Some place, places translate it as an abiding place. But what he's saying is, I'm going to prepare an abiding place for you. And this is really cool because what he's talking about is an abiding place. We mean abiding place, hanging out with what? An abiding place where we get to go and we get to hang out and be in the presence of God forever. Like that thing in here where, you, you know, we're worshiping and we're praising God and we're singing his name and you feel his presence. Y'all know that? Y'all know that feeling? When he comes in here, he's speaking to your heart and you're experiencing God and you're going, I know he's real. And then you leave and maybe that goes away. He's, Jesus is preparing a place for us where we can go and we can experience and we can dwell and we get to be with God forever. A place where there's no pain, there's no heartache, there's no sin. A place where we get to dwell with the creator of the universe forever. A place that our soul longs for. So we long for home. So the disciples are worried. The disciples are scared. And Jesus says, don't be worried. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Here's what he says. Here's why he says, so that where I am going, you may be also. Verse four, he says, you know the way to where I am going. 
Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I love Thomas, man. Thomas is known as, Thomas's nickname, you know, is Doubting Thomas, right? And you got to think, like, he gets this bad rap, but imagine if your nickname was the worst thing you've ever done. You wouldn't want to be known by that, would you? I couldn't even tell y'all what my nickname would be. You wouldn't let me be your pastor anymore. I think I'm playing. But anyways, so Doubting Thomas, here he shows up. And if you remember the last time we saw him, it was a couple weeks ago uh, with Lazarus. And uh, the disciples were, well, Jesus said, hey, we're heading to Bethany. We're going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. And the disciples were like, hey, uh, Jesus, every time we go to Bethany, they try to kill you. Like, this may not be a good, why don't we hang out here? He's already dead. Let's just say a prayer. Everything will be good, right? Jesus says, no, we're going to Bethany. We're going to raise this guy from the dead. It's going to be awesome. And here we, uh, Thomas steps, uh, pokes his head out and he goes, well, I love this. He says, well, uh, we may as well go with him so we can die too. <laughs> like instead of doubting Thomas, he maybe he should have been sarcastic, Thomas, because here he is again. Uh, Jesus is like, I'm going to prepare a place for you and you know the way to which I'm going. And Thomas is like, uh, no, we don't. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> hello, because <laughs> you help us out here, man. We don't know what you're talking about. And again, he gets, he gets a bad rap, but here's the thing is all the disciples were thinking the same thing. They're hearing this for the first time. They don't know. They're like, hey, Peter, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. Hey, you know you know, Matthew, I don't know what he's talking about. Thomas is the only one that's brave enough to raise his hand and go, Jesus, what are you talking about, man? And I appreciate that honesty and I appreciate that vulnerability because I think Jesus likes it too. Because here's the thing, let me, let me tell you something about Thomas. When Thomas doubted, he said something about it. And I want you to know today that, man, when you have doubts, when you have fears, when you have concerns, Jesus isn't afraid of that. God isn't afraid of that. Like, he's, he's not going, you better just pretend. You fake it till you make it, man. You better believe, right? Don't ask hard questions. No, ask hard questions. Press in, because here's the thing. Whenever you ha- ask the hard questions, when you, when you do doubt, and, and instead of running away, you press into Jesus and go, hey, I don't know about this. Here's what happens. When Thomas doubted, what did Jesus do? He didn't go, well, send him to hell. He's done. No, Jesus walked in the room, and he held out his hand, and he said, here I am. Here's the scars. Here I am. When Thomas said, I'm not so sure about this, Jesus, Jesus walked in the room and revealed himself to Thomas and released, or got rid of all doubt. And here we have again, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and you know the way. And Thomas goes, Jesus, we don't. Jesus doesn't say, shut up, Thomas. What Jesus does is he takes him even deeper. He takes him deeper in his faith. Here's what he says. Verse six, Jesus told him, remember Thomas says, we don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the truth. I am the way, and I am life. That's a pretty good response, don't you think? Jesus responds by saying, I am the way home. You want to know how to get there? I am the way home. And I love this response by Jesus. I love the way he says things because so many people think that Christianity is just behavior modification. They think that Jesus just came, wrote this little book, and what we're supposed to do is read it and be good. Like they think, like people genuinely believe, and Christians believe this, that the point of the Bible is is just to keep us from killing each other, right? Like if we didn't have it, we'd just be running around killing everybody and be doing stupid things, right? We do stupid things anyways, but... That's not what Christianity is. That's not, Jesus didn't come just so that you could be a good person. He's not like, I'm going to fix them, make them good. Jesus came to lead us home. 
And so his response to Thomas isn't, be real good and then you'll figure it out. His response is, I'm the way home, Thomas. I'm the way home. Jesus didn't come to make us good people. He came to lead us home. He came to lead us back to God. And in doing that, he rescues us. Hear that word. He rescues us out of sin and death and hell. And over time, that transforms our lives. Sin separated us from God. Here's how he's the way. Sin separated us, separated us from God. And we can try and try and try to fix it on our own. We can try and try and try to make it on our own and get there on our own, but we just can't do it. Like we can try to manipulate the system. And guess what? We're not manipulating that system. Have you ever tried to manipulate a system before? I, I did one time and I got burned. Let me tell you all a story real quick. So when I was in high school, um, we had a teacher who was, uh, she was a great teacher. She just having to get pregnant. Teachers do that sometimes, I guess. And so it was during the, it was a semester's class. So during the first semester, she taught the class and it was great and she was pregnant. Well, the second half of the semester, she left because she, I guess you have the baby at a certain point. And so she had the baby, she leaves. And so we had a substitute for the rest of the year. And everybody in the class, we were doing okay. You know, I wasn't an A student. I wasn't a C student. I was straight average B. Baby got me there. Well, really more C's. C's get degrees. And uh, anyways, so, so she leaves. The substitute comes in. And it wasn't the substitute's fault, but she didn't know what she was doing. And so what she would do is she would read us the lesson plan. And so she would just kind of stand up in the room, read us the lesson. And if you had any questions, you're just out of luck. And so students who had A's went to C's. If you had a B, you went to a D. If you had whatever else is left, you went to like a P, right? And so, you know, being the Robin Hood that I am, a man of the people, I got a, we got a little group together, and uh, we devised this plan to manipulate the system. And so what we did, we had the whole class in on it, and what we did is we devised this plan. We stole the teacher's password. We had a group bring the teacher to the front of the room and literally block the teacher, ask her a bunch of questions, uh, form a wall of people so that she couldn't see what we were doing. And we got on the teacher's computer and we changed everybody's grades in the class. And look, now listen, we didn't make them A's. I mean, we just made sure that, you know, I had like a B. It was a high B, but it was a B, right? I wasn't gonna, you know, even in my cheating, I was, I was moral, you know, um, so we changed the grades. We thought everything was good. We got away from it. We just left out one factor, the one guy in the class who actually was passing. Leave it up to the nerds, y'all. <laughs> so this guy goes, tells on us. I end up in the principal's office. And uh, he, here's what was interesting is he said, Mike, we were already aware of the situation and we were going to take care of you. You didn't have to do anything. We were going to make it right. We knew. Side note, I didn't get in trouble. That's crazy. I changed the grades, and he was like, we get it, Mike. It's okay. And they, I was like, yeah, that's it. That's, how, that's for a life lesson, right? So anyways, L.D. Bell, all the way. My point is you can't manipulate the system, not with God. Like you can try to change the grades all you want, but let me tell you something. Your best is worse than an F <laughs> without the sacrifice of Christ on the cross without him dying for our sins, without his forgiveness of sins, the best we will ever be is lost. And so Jesus comes in and he says, I am the way home. He's saying, I'm about to go and die on a cross for you so that you can find forgiveness of sins, so that you can find life, so that you can find healing, so that you can find God, so that I can lead you back home. But it doesn't just stop there. 
He says, I am the way home. He also says, I am the truth. There's a basketball player. He calls himself the truth. He's named Paul Pierce, and he's not the truth. You can't play sports for Boston and be the truth, all right? Tom Brady, that's just a lie, right? <laughs> but Jesus says, I'm the truth. What is he the truth of? When he says, I'm the truth. What does he mean by that? What he's saying is, I am the truth of God. I am, Jesus is saying, I am God in the flesh, revealing God to you. So when we look at Jesus, we see who God is. He is essentially, Jesus is our visual aid for who God is. And this is huge. This is big because Jesus reveals the Father to us. And this matters because we need to see and know who God really is, not just who we think he is. We need to understand who he is, not just some crazy idea in our head of what we think God should be. Because when you do that, when you don't have the truth that reveals to you who exactly he is, you get some crazy ideas in your head. In college, uh, one of our professors gave us an assignment. He said, I want you to go out in public and I want you to talk to people and videotape it and find out what they think or who they see, see God as, who they say God is, and then how the world's going to end. I think it was an eschatology class, which is an end times class. How's the world going to end? And so we went out and I remember this one guy, um, interesting guy, we're talking to him. I said, hey, who, what is God to you and how do you think the world's going to end? And he, I, I promise you this was his response. He said, I think, and he's sitting, we're at a coffee shop, he's smoking a cigarette, and he was 1,000% serious. He said, I think that, uh, I think the world is God. I think the world is God. Oh, you think that's crazy. I think the world is God. And here's what I think is gonna, the world's going to end. I think, you know, humans, he got this part right. Humans, you know, by nature, we're just messed up, evil people. And I think that, you know, one day the world is going to open up and consume us all. It's just going to eat us, man. What? What are you talking about, dude? Like, if you don't have the truth, you're going to get some crazy ideas in your head, don't you think? But this is important because if you take notes, you need to write this down. Because how we view God, how we see God, the truth that we understand God is will determine how we view ourselves in light of it. It will determine how we respond to God in light of it. So here's an example. If you see God as a tyrant God, you're going to spend your whole life thinking he's just waiting for you to mess up so he can strike you with that lightning bolt and you're going to live your whole life in fear of God. And so your life doesn't become joyfully serving him. Your life becomes don't screw up because he's going to get me. And that's not who God is. But if you don't have the truth of Jesus to reveal to you that that's not who he is, that's what you might think. The second way we go with this is the whole, remember the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts? I hated those shirts, man. And the reason why, here's why I hate them. I'm not, because Jesus is not your homeboy. <laughs> now he loves you. He died for you. He gave himself for you, but he's not your little buddy. Jesus deserves all of our honor, all of our respect, all of our worship, everything that we can do to glorify him, we give it to him. But here's the problem if we do the Jesus and my homeboy thing. And we, we begin to treat him like our homeboy. And so we begin to think that sin's no big deal. It doesn't matter if I sin. It doesn't matter if I mess up. Jesus is my buddy, man. He's going to forgive me. It's all good, right, Jesus? We begin to treat sin lightly and we don't take it seriously despite the fact that Jesus got nailed to a cross because of our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins. It doesn't seem like God takes sin lightly at all, does it? And then the third way we mess this up, if we're not careful, if we don't see Jesus as the truth, 
as we begin to think of Jesus as this little clockmaker God, or we see God as the clockmaker who just kind of exists some far off. He made the world, and the reason why they call it the clockmaker God is because he built the clock, it goes on his own, and he just gets out of there. But that's not who God is either, right? Like if you open up the pages of this book and you begin to look at Jesus' life, we don't see a picture of a tyrant, do we? We see a picture of a God who kneels down with the woman at the well, who's, who's lost in adultery, who's lost in sin. What does he say to her? I offer you life. We see the woman caught in adultery, thrown at Jesus' feet by the Pharisees, and they're looking at her and say, hey, Jesus, we get to kill her now, don't we? We get to stone her to death, don't we? That's what we get to do. And Jesus says, he has no sin. Cast the first stone, and he picks her up, and he says, where are your accusers? They're not here, are they? And the only one who had the right to condemn her says, I don't condemn you. Now get up and go and sin no more. That doesn't sound like a tyrant God, does it? That same God uh, isn't the Jesus of my homeboys or because he's looking at the Pharisees and he's getting on to the Pharisees because they keep manipulating the scriptures and making him this harsh, evil judge. And he's saying, that's not who I am either. And he's certainly not the clockmaker God, is he? Because we see him over and over and over healing the blind, seeking the lost, raising Lazarus from the dead because he cares about your situation because he cares about you, because he loves you, and he cares about your life. He wants to be involved in your life. That's not some clockmaker God, is it? Our Jesus is good. Jesus reveals God to us. You all remember that verse, the truth will set you free? We like, to, we like that one, don't you? The truth will set you free, sister. But what comes before that? Know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, what is the truth? Who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. Know the truth, and you will you'll be set free. He's come to lead you home. He's come to reveal the truth to you. He's come to set you free, and then he finishes up by saying, I have come to give you life. I am life. What makes you feel alive? Is it skydiving? Is it is it the beach? Is it the ocean? That's my wife, man. She, if, I, she could, if she could live in the ocean, she would do it. Maybe not in it, on it, around it, close to it. It's one thing we're missing in Texas, guys. There's a good ocean. Anyways, what makes you feel alive? Is it playing sports? Is it basketball? Is it, is it whirly ball, Ashley? Oh, can you hold up your wrist for us? <laughs> so if you don't know, whirly ball is a go-kart game where you have this little, uh, you have this little, handle thing and you get the balls and you try to throw the ball in the hoop and bumper cars yeah in bumper cars so you're driving around and um that's what happened to Ashley's wrist but it made me feel alive because I had this fast car I was so much faster than everybody else and they were just trying to keep up with me I was zooming around everybody then Ashley uh sinned because she coveted what I had <laughs> took my car from me and <laughs> And God punished her for it. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't. I'm just playing. <laughs> All right, we're done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go home. That was, that was the whole point of the day. No, I'm just kidding. What makes you feel alive? Because here's the thing is that Jesus came to bring you to life. And how he did that was the cross. Because the Bible teaches that before we know Jesus, before we have a relationship with Jesus, we are spiritually dead. So though we're walking around on earth, living life, we're spiritually dead. And what happens is the Bible teaches that when, because Jesus went and died on the cross for us, we now can be brought back to spiritual life. We can be resuscitated. Jesus can breathe 
spiritual air into our lungs and we can have fine life, true life, deep life, abundant life, maybe for the first time. Because here's the thing that's really cool about, uh, about Jesus bringing life is once you know him, all of those things that used to bring you life in the past, they still bring you life, but now there's life added to it because there's a depth to it. There's a foundation for it because when you stand by the ocean, you don't just go, this is amazing. You go, wow, this is incredible. The God of the universe created this and it brings even more life and leads you to respond to that in worshiping the creator of the universe. And we were designed to be worshipers of God. And when you do what you were designed to do, man, you better believe that breathes life into your lungs. God has come to bring you life, to bring you abundant life. So here you have the disciples, and they're terrified, they're worried, they're confused. What are we going to do, Jesus? You can't, you can't leave us. Jesus, what are we going to do without you? Where are you going? We don't know how to get there. You're talking about this home. We don't know how to get there. Jesus responds, I've come to lead you home. I've come to reveal the truth of God to you. And I've come so that you can have true life, maybe for the first time. So what do we do with that? Because this isn't really one of those like, you know, here's your five very practical, practical steps of how we go and live this out, right? Like last week was easy because it was like Jesus is serving the disciples and he's saying, all right, you get to go, go and do this for your brother, right? I'm serving you. Go and do likewise. It was like, go, go and serve. That's, that's easy, right? Here's what I would say. As we, as we look at this passage, as we study this passage, I want to say this. If you haven't found home yet, I want you to know that Jesus is here to lead you home. If you're looking, you're searching, you're seeking, I want you to know he's here to take you home, to lead you home so that you can know truth, so that you can know life. And I want to encourage you to make today the day that you follow Jesus, maybe for the first time. And I would say this, if maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, if you're already a Christian in here, what this passage should do, what I want this passage to do for you is I want it to lead you to worship our God. I want to rise something up in your soul that goes, wow, our God is incredible. Our God is amazing. He has come to lead us home. And I, come to, I hope that comforts your heart. I hope that comforts your spirit. But I hope that leads you even more so to worship him. And if you've gotten it twisted and maybe you've been forgetting who God really is, you've kind of been getting off on one of those sides that I was talking about, the tyrant, the homeboy, the clockmaker. I want you to remember who God is. I want you to know who he is is, and I want you to find freedom in that. I want you to find freedom in that. And then I want you to chase that abundant life that he offers to you so that it can lead you to worship the Savior of the universe. All right, I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song of worship, and I want to encourage you, let's worship in this time for his goodness and kindness. Father, I love you. Thank you that you are the way home. Thank you that you are the truth, God. Thank you that you are life. God, without you, we're lost. Without you, we're confused. Without you, we're on our own. But because of you, we have home. Because of you, we know the truth. Because of you, we can find life. And so I pray, God, if there's anyone in here today who doesn't know that life, who doesn't know that truth, who hasn't found that home, God, lead them there, God. 
I pray that your Holy Spirit would talk to them, would reveal yourself to them, would, would encourage them to know you today, Jesus. Father, I love you, God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you mean to us. Thank you for what you, what you do for us, God, and your sacrifice on the cross. I pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.